0: Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about sleep considerations when going back to work. When returning to work, it's not uncommon for baby to start waking more at night. What can you do ahead of time to support better sleep and minimize these wakings? If your baby starts waking more often, what can you do to survive and better the situation? Kim West has answers. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Fit2Be and their online catalog of alignment-based fitness routines that help prevent damage to the core while rebuilding your whole body's strength and tone because no one should pee when they sneeze. Learn more at birthful.com slash fitness. The Birthful Podcast talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. As always, thank you so much for your comments, for all the love you give the show, for your requests, and of course, for your reviews, because those really help get the show in front of even more parents. So if you enjoy what you hear, Please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it, because it really does help. Today I want to give a big shout out to Rach CPS, Kelly M C to Rachel, Laura Lionheart, RM Hand, and Jane Marie B for their lovely reviews. And I know like those are not necessarily those are their handles, not their real names. Well, some of their real names, but it's all I have from them. So those are the names I've got to go with. Um, I really, truly appreciated reading your reviews and how the HEP podcast is helping you guys. And thank you, Jane Marie, special shout out for even declaring yourself as a birthful junkie. Yay. All right, fresh new announcement here. Now, this is something that I mentioned to those that sign up for my mailing list, but that I always forget to say on the podcast, which is ridiculous. I should be saying this all the time. So the announcement is this. Birthful has a private Facebook community. Of course we do. Come join us in supporting each other through all the messiness and joy and sometimes joyful messiness that postpartum pregnancy birth has to offer. We are here to support and cheer on one another and also to learn. So come join us. Where you have to go is to facebook.com slash birthful slash groups to click through and, and then join. I cannot wait to see you there. All right. My guest today is Kim West, which some of you may know as the sleep lady. And I'm super excited to have her here today to talk about sleep considerations when going back to work. Kim, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's so fun. Um, I've read your books. And, <laughs> and they've been extremely helpful. Of course, I really appreciate all you do. Can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and how you got to the to be the sleep lady.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So I have been a clinical social worker, so meaning a family therapist for I can't even believe it, 25 years. And I have been a sleep coach or the term I created sleep coach for the last 20 years. Uh, most importantly I am a mother of two girls. And I I guess I'm an author, as you mentioned, of The Sleep Ladies, Good Night, Sleep Tight, the, also The Companion Workbook, and 52 Sleep Secrets for Babies. And I have some e-courses on my website and an online uh, sleep coaching resource. And seven years ago, I started training women all over the world to do what I do so that you know, parents can get and their babies can get the rest and the sleep that they need because I just couldn't do it by myself.
0: Yeah. And (sighs) parents need the help for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the support, because what I teach them to do is what I have done for 20 years, which is an, you know, an initial consultation with a family, we create a gentle sleep plan. And then I would call them uh, eight times throughout two to three weeks and coach them through the process. And, you know, review their sleep logs and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, yeah. I, I think what's an important piece uh, to talk about is when I had my first daughter, uh, my goodness, she is um, 22 years old, <laughs> um, soon to be 23. Ah! Um, and but then there was only one book on sleep Uh, there wasn't google Uh, actually google hasn't even been around that long it's amazing how it's transformed our lives though and uh there was only one book and it was dr ferber's book which in the rest of the world they call controlled crying and here they call ferberizing which he he apparently doesn't like very much um having his name used as a verb so i try to say time checks or graduated extinction where you leave your baby um, in the bed, uh, and they will likely cry and you go and check on them in longer and longer increments. And I just couldn't do it. Uh, it just made my heart wrench. And I thought, well, I know enough about child development, behavioral science, and, you know, attachment, there's gotta be some other way to do this um and so i slowly you know perfected at this point now uh what the what is called in my book the sleep lady shuffle so it's a gentle sleep coaching method where you don't leave your baby to cry you stay with them offering them physical and verbal reassurance while they learn how to put themselves to sleep independently and as they gain that skill you the parent move out and away and do less and less and move out of the room Um, And I found that parents were more likely to be consistent, uh, which is, of course, essential um, and able to follow through. And their children found sleep. And so did they. And it was just a beautiful thing. (laughs) Yeah. Can can
0: I tell you that, funnily enough, when so I read your book more recently after I became a doula and and all the things that I do now. But when my daughter was born, she's 12, Mm -hmm. we sort of stumbled upon what we ended up doing and worked was a a, we were doing that like slowly days days moving out of the room and then when I read your book I was like ah I was doing the shuffle without knowing it yay yeah so it does absolutely like for me it worked (laughs) for us it worked yeah yeah So there's so much, so many things about sleep and infant sleep. And the topic I think we're going to talk about today of going back to work and infant sleep mm-hmm. is a tough one because we've got a, a situation in the U.S. where family paid leave um is only 12 weeks and it's mm-hmm. unpaid. It's not family paid leave. It's family maternal leave. Um, and so most parents end up having to go back to work before those 12 weeks, um, some as early as two weeks after their baby is born, which mm. developmentally for baby is so rough and for parents. Okay. Um, can you speak a little bit about what newborns are going to through in those first six weeks?
1: Yes. Um, By the way, you know, my heart goes out to all of those moms. I live in the United States, so I understand and have experienced it myself. Um, I, I, I myself tried to go back part time in the beginning, and then ramp up slowly. Uh, So you know, if it, but not everyone can do that financially. Uh, So it also really becomes about, I think, finding the ideal um, provider to care for your baby, Um, really thinking through, I mean, I know this isn't exactly answering your question, but I'll get to it, you know, in terms of sleep, because what I find is that a lot of places that care for babies and children, they don't know a lot about sleep, just like our pediatricians don't know a lot about sleep. And so uh, I always encourage parents to educate their childcare provider um, on, you know, their baby's sleep needs and a sleep friendly environment. You know, that's quiet, cool, dim lights, uh, which is not always easy to find, Um, particularly if you have an infant room that is shared with toddlers who aren't taking a morning nap, let's say. Um, And so really looking for a place where, oh, is there a quieter area for my newborn? uh to sleep and could i use a white noise maker and are they able to dim the lights in that area of the room and are they basically able to support my newborn's need for sleep because <laughs> yeah because they newborns under you know when we're talking under three months need you know anywhere from well i think i was just looking at the new national sleep foundation um averages they is 14 to 17 hours Total, total. Right. So naps and nights. So important thing to know in the first three months of life, uh, you know, after birth. uh, And this is, of course, um, has to be adjusted if a baby is born early is their internal clock, their circadian rhythm that we all we all have um, is not fully developed. So they're not producing and secreting their own melatonin. The melatonin is the drowsy making hormone that tells our body when to be asleep and when to be awake. And the secretion of melatonin is, is triggered by, once we have it, uh, by darkness and social cues, i.e. A bedtime naptime routine and so you can imagine under three months they don't have this so we have to be their external clock so the big focus i think in the first three months uh, besides of course taking care of yourself and your body um, post delivery, getting to know your baby and care for your baby. And if you're breastfeeding, establishing breastfeeding, of course, those are go without saying. (laughs) Um, uh, but then it really becomes, how do I help them not have day night confusion? Because, again, if they don't have their internal clock working and we have to be their clock, if we don't attend to that, that's what could happen. A baby who's sleeping largely through most of the day and then up frequently at night. Uh So one of the ways we can help them to do that is to uh, expose them to light during the day. So even though I know we have to be, we tend to be um, uh, concerned about, you know, the UV rays of the sun, it is important that we all have exposure to light, right? For vitamin D, it also helps set our clock. So even if it's going for a walk in the morning, uh, opening the shades, really having it be light and a light experience, Um, you know, it's okay to have the household noise and activities uh, and, you know, showing that this is daytime. I also think, and even though I know don't wake a sleeping baby, I have one caveat, and that is that during the day you wake them so they don't sleep through a feeding. So, so that by the time you get to six to eight weeks, when it, when it's possible to have one long stretch at night, like four-ish hours, you want that to occur at night and not during the day. So light during the day, sunlight, you know, activity, wake um, so they don't miss a feeding. And then at night, having it be the kind of opposite in the sense of dark, quiet, no playing, you know that we're feeding and changing diapers and swaddling if you're swaddling and back into bed, um, not a not a lot of engagement um, so that we're telling the body this is the time we sleep and this is the time we are awake mm. and then I think the other thing is to get get as much without going crazy about this, but you really want to support your newborn's naps during the day Um, and any way you can get them. Don't worry about creating bad habits, okay? Uh, First of all, there's really no science to support sleep training a newborn. Uh, They really don't have the self-soothing mechanisms developed yet. And it's okay if you have to hold, rock, feed, nurse, you know, your baby to sleep.
0: Yeah. And I think Uh, it's really important to repeat that because it is until at least six months. Like if you look around most sleep books and, and general considerations, it's really recommended that you don't do any sleep training if you're going to do sleep training um, before six months because developmentally your child's not capable of doing that
1: yes and I think that you know that uh, now does that mean that your four and five month old needs to be waking you know five to ten times a night no <laughs> <laughs> you know um, but what we're what we're trying to tell parents what I'm trying to tell parents is that we have to have expectations that are developmentally appropriate, you know, for our child. And I know that we all hear about these miracle babies. Oh, my baby slept through, the- I've even heard my baby slept through the night from the day I took them home from the hospital, which I don't even know how that happens, <laughs> right, you know? And who knows if that's like a myth or not, but I think it's really important that, that we all try not to compare our babies to all these other babies who we're not even sure if it's all the truths that we're hearing and really focus on who we were given because for instance you can have you know a baby for instance who has reflux or milk protein allergies or colic and you can't compare that babies when they slept longer or almost through the night to a baby that didn't have those challenges
0: Absolutely. And I and it goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording is that in that span of those first few weeks that babies vary widely yeah. in, in terms of what they do for everything. They do. And I would even say
1: zero to six months. Um, as I was saying, I think if you lined up 20 babies, zero to six months, um, and then you lined up 20 babies, six months to even, you know, let's say 12 or 12 months that you would really see averages in the six to 12 month olds. Like, oh, they typically need to go to sleep around this time. They tend to wake up around this time. They tend to have this many naps and for this long, like there's a bigger, fatter bell curve in the middle right? Of course, there's always outliers and everything. But then under six months, it's all over the map. And I would say under four months, even more so. You know, there's so many variabilities, you know, not to mention the birth uh, and health and uh, whether they were born early or late. So I think it's important that we're gentle with ourselves and our expectations.
0: Mm, Absolutely. So, Going deeper into our topic here of a mom that's going back to work, is there, would you say there's an ideal time? And, and, and I'm getting a sense from what we're talking, or what we've been talking about of when that would be. But in your opinion, what would be like if, if they could have no restrictions and had to go and when to go back to work, what would be like the best time to do that? Is there a best time? Three years of age.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they only say that just because of, you know, the first 1000 days um, support. Ah, uh, my goodness. I mean, I guess I would ideally like to say six, if if it's not a year, like it is in Canada and England, um, which is really wonderful, you know, then I would say that next is six months. And then... You know, and then I think, geez, it's hard to know under six months because at each month there's its own little particular goal to work on, shall we say. Mm. And what if, go ahead. You know, for instance, there's a big change between three to four months. Um, And then again, at five months, I mean, there's a lot happening in the first six months of life. So I think we just do the best that we can. And again, I think it's about our expectations.
0: Yeah. And during those three to six months, there, like you say, there's so many things that happen that yeah. it keeps you on your toes. And, and those, yeah. ugh, it's so hard during those months that because baby is doing different things and then they go from starting to consolidate their sleep, their sleep to yeah. then you see six naps, five naps, four naps, three naps, like all of that change happens in those couple of months.
1: Yeah 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 well by the time they reach six months they're like two to three naps and then nine months, two naps, and then, you know, and they slowly filter out. But before that, it's um, lots of variability. Yeah. So I think that if we, if I think if you can find a, a place uh, for your child to be, whether it's at home with a nanny, an au pair, a family member, or a family uh, child care center or, or fi- family daycare or a childcare center. I think we just have to look for environments that are sleep friendly and support the sleep. I mean, of course, I am overly focused on sleep um, and have been my whole uh, life as a mom. Um, And so that's how I looked at it. I even, when I thought, when we looked at houses, when we were moving, I. I factored that in, where does the sun come up? Where will the kids be sleeping? You know, this we have to do the same thing for childcare. You know, uh, finding out, do they have, as I said earlier, a sleep friendly environment, is a quiet, dim? You know, are they supporting the naps? Are they open to you telling them that this is when my baby needs to nap? Or do they have their own sort of strict schedule? I find that uh, several um, daycare providers uh, who, of course, don't have the sleep training um, have said to parents I've worked with, like, well, your baby just is never seems tired uh, and they're only sleeping, you know, 15 minute increments. And so, you know, we they maybe they just need less sleep. And, uh, it's really just because they didn't have like a routine, a sort of, they didn't know their, the baby's sleep windows. And so you really want to find out if the person who's caring for your baby is open, um, to learning that information and to, uh, supporting your child's, uh, sleep and naps and their schedule, potentially yeah. potential schedule.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kim what are some of the things new moms should look out for in terms of night wakings after returning to work
1: hmm so of course some of that will depend on the age of the baby when they return to work uh and the health and whether they were born early um but let's say uh just as an example your your 3 month old was waking let's just say two times during the night for a feeding you know, going to bed. Um, you know, so that's the other thing. The bedtime starts to get earlier and earlier as they get a look. You know, in the first six months, it's late, and then gets starts to get earlier and earlier. Um, and so then you may have two to three feedings during the night, depending on what time the bedtime is. Uh, it's very possible for the night wakenings to increase when you go back to work for a couple reasons. One. Um, you know, they miss you, um, and you miss them. And two, they may be not eating as well during the day, uh, being away from you. And potentially, if a mom, let's say, was breastfeeding exclusively and hadn't introduced a bottle uh, before going back to work, and then the baby's also adjusting to that. Not to mention, if they're not napping well at daycare, this can increase the night wakings, so which is why I think it's really important that um, we do some prep work if we could before going back to work.
0: So what are some things? what does that prep work look like?
1: Yeah, so ideally now please know that I support breastfeeding and um, but I also know that that some. Moms have a hard time pumping, or don't have jobs where they, believe it or not, are supported in in pumping, um, or don't have private places. Or I mean, not every place is is breastfeeding friendly. Um, or yeah, I would, I'll just keep leaving it at that. And so, if you already know that you may or may not be able to continue to pump, um, or let's say you're even trying to, but you know, of course, that you won't be able to come home to breastfeed your baby, then I would encourage you to introduce a bottle um, a, a few weeks before going back to work. And, uh, and I'm not a lactation expert, and so if you are working with a lactation consultant, uh, I would talk to them and say, here is the reality for me. You know, my, I have to go back to work six weeks, you know, after birth, let's say, as an example. And I really want to continue to breastfeed um, th- during the night and when I'm home and in the morning before daycare. And so when do you think I should introduce a bottle? Because usually they ask you to establish breastfeeding before starting a bottle you may not have as much uh, a time to do that. So I would really work with, I would have that as a goal kind of early on. I'd be thinking about it, being ready to maybe address it even three weeks before you have to have to return, particularly if you're returning at six weeks. So um, that would be one goal. Um, the other one would be to see, which is hard under three months, um, see if you can see any pattern about when your baby tends to start their day so if you see no pattern which by the way is not unusual usually you don't see a pattern until about three months um, because between three and four months the baby starts to produce and secrete their own melatonin. So you see a glimmer of a quote unquote schedule, you know, like, Oh, they tend to wake up and be ready to start their day at seven, seven 30, you know, Oh, their bedtime is moving earlier. It's not 10. It's not nine anymore. It's, you know, maybe, you know, between seven and 8 PM, depending on the baby. So, um, so before that, if you know, you have to go out the door and leave for work at, let's say, 7 a.m., and one of your awakenings and feedings at, at the night is, you know, 6 a.m., and prior to work, they used to go back to sleep until, let's say, 8, you know, 8.30, you might have to more start the day after that 6 a.m. wakening which is which is tough. And if that doesn't work, it's okay, particularly for the 6 week olds. So if you feed your baby and, you know, and dress them and um and they fall back asleep and they're sleeping on your way to, to daycare, that's okay. You, know, you have to be kind of flexible. Um so so let's say then so it's introducing the bottle, looking to see if there's a wake up time and how that will fit into your return to work. Um, knowing that they'll probably want to do a lot of uh, feeding when you get home and when you pick them up, not only to kind of catch up, but to also connect with you. Um, So that I'm trying to think of what else. So, and then looking for that sleepy time window, I would also say, I mean, I know this isn't prep work, but um, I would be kind of keeping a, a little, not go crazy about it, but a little log about when, what times they tend to nap and how long throughout the day so that you can tell your your daycare provider um, what they tend to do at home and then ask them to keep, usually they do, a little log for you so that when you pick up your baby, you can look at how much did they eat and how much did they sleep today and when, how long they've been awake for when you pick them up. So that then you can gauge the rest of your, your evening with them.
0: Yeah, that that's a great way to know what you should expect for that evening gives you an idea of, you know, how overtired is your baby or how much how hungry is your baby?
1: Yeah. And I guess the other thing too, is that you might want to be experimenting with ways to get your baby to sleep during the day that aren't. That your daycare provider could mimic. Right, so if you're having to bounce them for thirty minutes, that uh, you you probably will not find a daycare unless it's a nanny or you know an in law or some or parent grandparent. Um, who's willing to do that, but maybe looking at, can you, will they sleep um, safely in a bouncy, in a swing, or if you swaddle and hold them, and then, you know, you have to really kind of think ahead in that regard.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Kim, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to switch the focus to the moms and look at her sleeping habits and lack of sleep and what she can do to sort of you know deal with with this going back to work we'll be right back guess what arrived this week yep i got my reverie power bed and i'm so excited first off the delivery and setup process was seamless before delivery sack from reverie made sure it would be feasible to navigate the power bed up my narrow stair landing and into my bedroom during delivery On the day of, the crew was great. They took it out of the box and assembled it, brought it up to my room, and made sure everything was in working order. The first thing I did after they left was get in the bed and hit the massage button. Oh, that was so amazing. It made it really hard not to just take a nap right there and then. I can totally see how the Reverie Bed can help with pregnancy aches and continue to help after baby is born by getting you in a really comfortable position for feeding and make the cuddles and book readings for older kids a total delight. I could certainly have used this from pregnancy onwards. My daughter is 12, so that would have been a lot of years of comfort. Since Reverie Beds are backed by a 20-year warranty and with financing options for as little as $20 per month, that's a no-brainer. Go see it for yourself at momsneedsleep.com slash birthful. Don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who got you there. That's momsneedsleep.com slash birthful. And we're back talking to Kim West about infant sleep and going back to work. So those were some great suggestions in terms of preparing and keeping things, you know, paying attention to your child and knowing that it's going to be a little rocky at the beginning but making it a little smoother Mm. now because it probably will be a rocky transition are there things that moms can do to catch up on their sleep when dealing with say the extra wakings or more fussiness you
1: mean once they return to work yeah awakenings that's always a challenge because you know how we are as moms. You come home and there's 17,000 things to do um, besides, of course, or in addition to caring for your baby, um, especially when you've been, been at work all day. I think that in the ideal world, you, I would make a lot of dinners buy a lot of frozen dinners, do whatever works so that your freezer is stocked before you go back to work so that it can be one less thing uh, for you to worry about when you get home is okay, now, you know, what in the world are we gonna have for dinner? Uh, I think that's super helpful. Um, I think that uh, I think that when you get home, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought.
0: Mm, for moms on how they can deal, get more sleep, trying to catch up on their sleep. Thank you.
1: So I think that the first thing would be to, to go to bed early. And I, I, I even though as I say this, I, I feel like, oh my God, parents are, moms are gonna be like, really? <laughs> really, Kim? I've just spent all day at work. Um, and you know, there's a bazillion things to attend to and laundry and so on and so forth. But really that's going to be your most important thing. So I, you know, the house cleaning can wait uh, you know, do whatever you can for quick and easy meals um, so that you can get to bed early, knowing that your baby is going to wake um, frequently during the night and you still have to go to work. I mean, it's not like we can fit in naps um, at work. And yes, I would encourage you to take some naps on the weekend uh, with your baby um, or when the baby's napping, if possible, as long as it's not too many naps that will disturb your night's sleep. Uh, that will be very important because honestly, if you are you know sleep deprived for too too long um, as a new mom postpartum and you know going back to work, it can uh, cause or increase postpartum mood disorder.
0: Yeah, and they've even equated it to that level of sleep deprivation is almost like being drunk, and yeah. and and it, you know if you're driving, it can be unsafe. Like it, it, it's not just yeah. oh you need more sleep it kind of needs to be a priority.
1: Yeah, I know. But you know, the thing is, is it's very, it's not, it's not something that's easy to sort of cut and paste onto the weekend. Um, And so that's why really the only way we can do it is to go to bed earlier ourselves at Mm -hmm. bedtime and know that this too shall pass, you know, that this isn't forever, that you're going to trying to go to bed at eight o'clock and then catching up. On uh, all the things in the home on the weekends. I also think that if you are um, uh, supplementing, uh, or either you know, bre- either your formula feeding and your baby's having a bottle, or if you're pumping and your baby has taken to a, a bottle, you could have you know alternate nights with your husband or partner to go in so that you can have at least one stretch of longer sleep. Uh, at night, um, this is particularly true if you uh already know that you have postpartum mood disorder, then it's really important that um that you get a stretch of sleep, and they ideally say five hours, um, which is really hard to do in the beginning. But if you're at risk or already are um receiving treatment for postpartum mood disorder, it's essential,
0: and I find that's a great like tip scheduling. And because at the beginning, especially when babies are waking every two to three hours, Mm -hmm. and you're feeding them every two to three hours, their sleep cycles are shorter than ours as an adult, our sleep cycles are closer to, you know, an hour and a half to get that full, all restorative sleep and go through all the changes. So the fact that, you know, consider that during those first few weeks, you probably won't really get a full decent cycle. So when it gets to whenever you're going back to work, you're already on a deficit in that sense too. And yeah. I I think understanding all the moving parts can then maybe make it so that, okay, this is really important. We should be having, you know, have my, my partner do a bottle and then I come in so I can at, at some point during this week get a couple of five-hour stretches.
1: Yeah. And I think that it becomes, especially if you're talking about a mom who's going back to work, right. And functioning, um, and driving, um, and, you know, having to do all of their tasks, uh, throughout the day. Uh, and it's also essential, um, for a mom who is past the baby blues so it's been two weeks postpartum and you know we all almost all have some form of baby blues in the first two weeks but now this is you know six weeks three months four months and if there are any ongoing signs uh that then that becomes critical you know we're it's the we know we have so much amazing research on the importance of maternal mental health uh as it affects babies so i am a big supporter of family well-being and um and if you know mama ain't happy nobody's happy you know um and then if you have a mom who's anxious and depressed uh, that affects the baby um and of course affects the whole family so it really becomes you know critical Uh, And like I always think of it more like a family emergency that we really have to get um, mom to get some care for herself and get some sleep.
0: Mm, So important. And and I want to stress like to moms out there listening that we're not trying to make you guilty or feel guilty. We're on the contrary. We're trying to make sure you understand how important that this is so that, you know, it's there's no perfect. You don't have to do this all the time, but to consider it a goal so that you get it in there a couple of times a week or more. Um, and it'll it'll definitely make a difference for your day-to-day life. And then bigger mental health p- picture, like Kim is saying. Um, I had on the show a couple of weeks ago, Carrie Comte, And uh, she was talking about, I loved one of the phrases she used. She says, self-care, moms, whatever you're doing, do 51% for yourself, 49% for baby.
1: Yeah well i mean you know there is the, there is a reason why they tell us to put the oxygen mask on our on ourselves first you know because if we pass out we can't care for our child you know so we have to to do that so that then we can care for our child
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah now as we all know having a baby is also lots of yumminess and cuddles and all that yeah. gratification that you get from the smiles and the coos and and yeah going back to work can bring on a lot of guilt because you feel you're missing all these firsts. Um, yeah. Right, right? It's, I mean, it is, <laughs> there's no way about it. We know this is a tough situation. Yeah. But so, what I hear from some moms is that they, they once they go back to work, their baby is having extra wakings, but they actually don't mind. They kind of enjoy those extra wakings because of that extra snuggle time. Yeah. If this is the case for you know for a listener, is there a way they can still enjoy more snuggles without the impact of to their sleep, or how to make up for that loss of sleep, or how to balance that situation of wanting to spend more time? Because it's not just your baby missing you; you miss your baby too.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you know, I would say in remind yourself and you probably have to remind yourself more than once that especially in if we're going to be super conservative even just the first 4 months i mean if we wanted to it'd be great to say 6 months but let's just say the first 4 months you cannot spoil your baby by holding and snuggling and whatever mm-hmm. you know kissing loving and even to sleep we everything can be readdressed later so i think if we could just let that go particularly during a transition of going back to work don't be stressed about that because i know that you know a lot of people will give you unsolicited advice you know um so if you could just block that out and enjoy the time you have with your baby and uh you know the american academy of pediatrics uh, new um recommendations to room share for the first 6 months and ideally the first year of life means you know that the baby's in your room so that you can also attend to them quickly during the night and maybe don't have to fully wake up yourself so you can go back to sleep so you can also get a um a co-sleeper you know like a arm's reach or a bassinet that's right next to your to your bed so that you can even you know pat and shush and um love them to sleep although they're in a separate safe um sleep surface and uh and still you know bring them into your your bed to breastfeed them, and then back into their separate uh, sleeve surface. And also, if it means when you get home, they want to be held a lot, then I would go with it. And really, again, I think it's sort of like that guilt of, that you were saying before, is that really let go of your house is a wreck. you you know, you haven't gone to the gym, you, haven't, you know, yeah. you need to do four loads of laundry and just spend that time reconnecting. Because I think it will, it'll make you feel so much better too. And your baby.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll make you both feel and I love that concept of holding baby more like when you get home, it be okay to hold baby more. And I yeah. truly love um carriers for this because, yes. uh, yeah, also if you have that component of if your baby's having a harder time with naps during the day at wherever they go for care and they're a little more overtired, carrying yeah. baby has been, there's clear research that it's been proven to help lessen fussiness.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and so, and and you could, you know, ha- put them in the carrier and do some things around the house while they're napping.
0: Yeah, on you.
1: Yeah, oh. when you get home, exactly, on you, yes.
0: Mm. Kim, do you have other tips for moms for going back to work that we haven't touched upon?
1: Um, I guess I would just say if you could, you know, plan ahead um in terms of where you're going to bring your child who they're going to be with again thinking through about the feeding um, and addressing it give yourself ideally three to four well if they're if they're if you're not going back until three or four months of age i would say start really looking at the sleep the quote-unquote schedule sort of what's what's their bedtime is, have you started introducing a bottle, all those things, you know, three to four weeks before you go back. It'll make, it'll make life much easier.
0: Absolutely. I really, really hadn't, before it hadn't clicked, clicked on my, in my mind, huh, I can't speak today, clicked in my mind about the importance of, of, you know, just facing up to the fact that you're going to go to work probably too early so a lot of this is going to depend on your care provider and the importance of figuring out having that care provider be supportive of your child's sleep needs and and whatever that looks like right that you talked at the beginning Yeah. so in terms of figuring out who that care provider is going to be starting researching it when should it because that can be so incredibly daunting to figure out who is going to take care of your child. How early should they start looking at this? And what's do you have some some thoughts on how to best go about that?
1: Well, it some of it depends on uh, what what your plans are and what you can afford to. Right. So, uh, I remember that I had to start looking at the end of my pregnancy for a family, set of you know, an in-home, um, center where it was small. And it was a woman in her home who cared for, you know, under six children, I think, and, and two infants, um, because they usually have waiting lists, So, you know, it's ideal to interview while you're pregnant um, and talking to other parents and going visiting them. And again, I'm, you know, uh, focused on sleep. I'm always asking, uh, do you tell me about where the babies sleep? And, you know, can you show me that place? And, you know, are they going to be um, sleeping somewhere that you feel is safe and is a sleep friendly environment, and you know, are they going to be able to? For instance, I've had some clients whose their uh, their center had to bring all the kids to various, you know, bring the toddlers on I don't know what, or the older kids to school bus stops and so forth, and so they had to like drag the babies onto the nap. So those are all things you want to find out. You know, is my baby going to ideally be able to sleep in a safe crib? In a dim lit area that's somewhat quiet, somewhat quiet. Um, and if you feel like you have a super sensitive baby, um, which you may or may not know um, for a little while, uh, then the the quieter and more sleep friendly environment they're going to they're going to need. So I think you start at the end of your pregnancy, doing research, and then asking them about about sleep and um, and will they make it a you know an important part of your child's health.
0: Yeah. And so that requires you to learn about baby sleep beforehand and it also and in this ca- accounts it's good advice for any of your choices like if you're doing cloth diapering or not if you know all right. the things about baby care. So it, it it ideally would be that you learn about all these things early on in your pregnancy so you've not over you're not overwhelmed at the end trying to figure it out live right um mm-hmm. but i consider now that we're talking about this in my mind i'm thinking like goodness this is a, even like to me this would be an even more important decision to make than say who my pediatrician's going to be because the yeah. pediatrician you'll only see them from time to time right yeah. there's yeah. a schedule <laughs> but your baby's going to be here every single day in your or, or depending on what your situation is if it's several times a day uh a week that they go there.
1: Mhm. Yeah, right.
0: you really need somebody on board caring for your baby like you would like them to be cared for. It.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think that um you have to remember that they you are employing them. And uh which I think sometimes we forget. You know, um, we sort of let them dictate to us how it will be. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. You are employing them and you have to be, and I know this is a really tough one, um, you have to be willing to change if it's not going the way you would like it to.
0: Have a plan B in your pocket yes. so that you don't feel that you can't change because you're stuck with yes. that. Yeah.
1: Because yes. none of us like feeling stuck.
0: No. No, and I think it helps on on being, if you have a plan B, then you are willing to put your foot down more and consider that you are employing them, even if they had, like, you had to get on a wait list to get in here, even if that happened, Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Because sometimes, you know, it becomes a matter of the right match for your child's temperament. I mean, I have two daughters. They have very different temperaments. My older one, I probably, she probably would have been okay, Kind of anywhere, within reason, of course. Uh, But my second one, she needed a smaller environment. She was much more easily overwhelmed um, and very sort of difficult to feed, and you know, so you don't need sort of don't know who you're going (laughs) to get in your baby, and so you have to be willing to um, be flexible too.
0: Which I find is a whole mind shift, like glass shattering concept, because yeah. you always, just before I was, and I only have one kid, but before I was a mom, before I, I was doulaing, um, I didn't even consider that. And I have friends today who have more than one kid, and they're in different schools, right? Like their fifth mm-hmm. grader is in one school, and their second... And having to even consider, like, that was just eye-opening of, wait a second, they're all not going to do the same thing? Go to the same place? I've got to figure out two driving schedules? What?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, what about, and this is a trickier point, what about if the child care that is at your disposal is with your family members how do you navigate those conversations to get them to be on board with your choices when you know they mm-hmm. might think oh well my when I was you and I my, know better
1: yeah. right yeah 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 that's always a tricky one I've definitely helped many a families maneuver that one um I would tell uh And you know what, all of you, even if I never speak to uh, the vast majority of of you, I would say to blame it on me. (laughs) Um, So you could say, you know, uh, mom, let's say it's the mom's talking to her mom, so the grandma, I read this sleep book by the sleep lady, or I talked to the sleep lady, and she said that at this age, the baby should be doing X, Y, and Z. And I noticed on the weekends or with me, this is when they're, they tend to nap and how long they nap for. And we're really working on this to help them sleep better at night, let's say. Um, and so I'm asking, can you please support us in that? Um, and that I know that you did, might have done things differently, but I'm really trying to work uh, with what I have found my baby needs. And so, if Grandma, for instance, says, "Okay, I'll uh, I'll have them nap at nine and one," making this up here, Um, but I like to hold them to sleep. Honestly, I would say, "Great, thank you, Mom." If you could please hold them to sleep. So they get at least whatever X number of hours during the day for their naps so that when I get home, they're not running on vapors, you know, then I would really appreciate it. That would be wonderful. I think you have to really pick your battles and, and you can focus on night and have whoever's caring for your, you know, family member, um, for your baby during the day, just as I like to call it, fill the sleep tank, the daytime sleep tank, any way they can do it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Keep an eye on that point. That that's that At the end, what you need is a kind of well-rested baby when you receive them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes. exactly. Exactly.
0: Kim, if listeners want to follow what you're doing, get in touch with you, reach out, how can mm-hmm. they do that?
1: Yeah. They um, should uh, visit my website, which is sleeplady.com. Beautiful. And I have lots of, hundreds of articles on my blog and I have a very active Facebook group uh, or Facebook page and, you know, Instagram and lots of giveaways and help. And I have sleep coaches answering questions. So lots of resources and support.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. We also have a Birthful Pregnancy and Postpartum Facebook group. So come join us. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Reverie Beds. Check them out at momsneedsleep.com slash birthful. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening.